Now, as long as we're in Jordan, let's go on up to Amman. Amman, the audacious. Amman, Jordan, the capital of Jordan today, draws its name from the Ammonites, from Amman. The northern section of that area goes Amman, Moab, Edom. That makes up what is Jordan today. Verse 1 of chapter 49. Concerning the sons of Ammon, thus says the Lord, Does Israel have no sons, or has he no heirs? Why then, note this, has Malcolm taken possession of Gad? And his people settled in its cities. Remember what I told you before, the Moabites took over the land of Reuben. When Israel was driven out of the land, the Moabites flooded in and took over Reuben. The Ammonites flooded in and took over Gad. This is territory God gave to His people. Not to Moab and not to Ammon, but they took the land anyway, and God is judging them for it. What are you doing? Why have you taken possession of Gad? Verse 2, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will cause a trumpet blast of war to be heard against Rabbah of the sons of Ammon. Rabbah is Ammon Jordan today. Rabbah was the primary city of the Ammonites, and it is now Ammon Jordan. It will become a desolate heap. Her towns will be set on fire. Then Israel will take possession of his possessors, says the Lord. Wail, O Heshbon, for Ai has been destroyed. This is not the Ai that Joshua destroyed. This is an Ai that is here in Ammon. Cry out, O daughters of Rabbah. Gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament. Rush back and forth inside the walls. What is that? It's panic he's describing. For Malcolm, that's Molech, Shamash of the Moabites will go into exile together with his priests and his princes. Another one bites the dust. (laughs) How boastful you are about the valleys. Your valley is flowing away, O backsliding daughter who trusts in her treasures, saying, Who will come against me? Behold, I am going to bring terror upon you, declares the Lord God of hosts, from all directions around you, and each of you will be driven out headlong with no one to gather the fugitives together. But afterward... I will restore the fortunes of the sons of Ammon, declares the Lord. Just like Moab, Ammon is judged, Ammon is destroyed, Ammon is restored. Specifically, we see it more with Ammon than with Moab, but because they took land that belonged to Israel, God is judging. It's part of the judgment of Moab. It's part of the judgment of Ammon. Ammon are also the Ammonites' distant cousins of Israel. Like Moab, they had Lot for a father. Genesis 19.38 says, As for the younger daughter, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. But again, their problem is they stole land that God had promised to Israel. And boy, I'll tell you what, we're watching it happen today. People are trying to take land that God has promised to Israel. And it never goes well when people try to divide up God's land away from God's people. The next nation now. Um, let me tell you one more thing about Ammon. Historically, Josephus tells us Nebuchadnezzar took them down in 591 B.C. Although we know there were enough left in the region of Ammon to give trouble to the exiles when Nehemiah came back to rebuild Jerusalem. So the Ammonites still were there, just in uh, greatly reduced number. But they, like Moab, will be restored in the millennial kingdom by grace. The next nation is Edom. Then Edom will be destroyed with no hope of restoration whatsoever. Edom the arrogant. Number four, Edom the arrogant. Concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Is there no longer any wisdom in Taman? You guys remember when we studied Job, Eliphaz the Temanite was from this area. Taman was considered a place of wise men, the place of studied scholars. And so he says, is there no longer any wisdom there? Has good counsel been lost to the prudent? Has their wisdom decayed? Flee away, turn back, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan. For I will bring the disaster of Esau upon him at the time I punish him. If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? If thieves came by night, they would destroy only until they had enough. But I have stripped Esau bare. I have uncovered his hiding places so he will not be able to conceal himself. His offspring has been destroyed, along with his relatives, his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your orphans behind. I will keep them alive. And let your widows trust in me. Verse 11 is the only sign of grace in this judgment. Where God says, I will take care of your widows and your orphans. But the rest of Edom is toast. For thus says the Lord, Behold, those who were not sentenced to drink the cup will certainly drink. And are you the one who will be completely acquitted? You will not be acquitted, but you will certainly drink it. It is the cup of judgment here. For I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, that Basra will become an object of horror, a reproach, a ruin, and a curse, and all its cities will become perpetual ruins. I have heard a message from the Lord, and an envoy is sent among the nations, saying, Gather yourselves together and come against her. Rise up for battle. For behold, I have made you small among the nations, despised among men. As for the terror of you, the arrogance of your heart has deceived you. O you who lived in the clefts of the rock, it's a very rocky region, who occupy the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as an eagle's, I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. Edom will become an object of horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss at all its wounds. Who was Edom? Who was Edom? The first person called Edom. It was Esau. Esau, whose name is Harry. That's what Esau means. So Jacob's brother Esau, Harry, sold his birthright to his brother for some red lentil stew and from then forward was nicknamed Edom Red. So either way, he's either Harry or he's Red. Red Harry guy. Harry Red guy. And he said in Genesis 25.32, Esau speaking, Behold, I'm about to die. What use then is the birthright to me? Remember the story? Jacob says, I'll give you some stew. You give me your birthright. The inheritance. See, later Jacob will steal that inheritance from Esau by tricking his father. But Esau already gave up the inheritance. He didn't want it. Why? He's a man's man. He's living for now. I'm hungry. Feed me. I want some stew. And so he was left stewing with no birthright. (laughs) Too many men today. I talked to the women last week. Let me talk to the men for a moment. Too many of us guys are exactly like Esau. We have no desire for the Spirit. Jacob is a picture. Israel is a picture in the Bible of spiritual things. Connection to God. Esau is a picture of the flesh. He's a guy's guy. He wants to do manly things. 
and you could really care less about Holy Spirit stuff and spiritual churchy things. There's too much arrogance, too much achievement, too much audacity among men today. And the place that, that we're seeing it more than anywhere else is in the church. Because leadership in the church has been abdicated and handed to the women in many places. Men, if we don't pursue the Spirit, we will be left without a birthright. If we don't seek spiritual things, all of our manliness will be completely for naught and we will lose our inheritance. Galatians 3.28 tells us there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. I often go to that verse to show the ladies, look, we are equal in Christ. The curse is lifted. We now are the way we're supposed to be in Christ. But gentlemen, understand, that means you and I as well. We are heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3.29 If you belong to Christ you're Abraham's descendants heirs according to promise we have a birthright and the birthright is spiritual and there is nothing more manly than spiritual living there is nothing tougher stronger than a man who prays that's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.8 I want men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension I don't want you down at the local bar beating each other up. Oh yeah, I got in a big fight tonight. Whoa, that was manly. No, that was stupid. <laughs> manly is a group of guys on their knees before the Lord with hands raised up. Manly is a man who is tough enough, strong enough to say, God, I am weak. And I need you. I need the power of your spirit in me. Men... I say to you what I said to the ladies last week, your perfect picture of the ideal man is Jesus Christ, who was no wimp. But nobody walked in the Spirit like Jesus did. Nobody prayed more. Nobody was more in tune with the Father than the Son. And we are sons, gentlemen. And we are called to live spiritual lives. Esau Esau is a picture. Edom shows us what happens to the earthbound man. A man whose vision never goes beyond the next hunting trip. And I'm not opposed to hunting. If you want to shoot Bambi, that's fine. No issue there. The earthbound man, listen to what happens to him, verse 18. Like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, says the Lord, no one will live there, nor will a son of man reside in it, that is, in this location of Edom. Behold, one will come up like a lion from the thickets of the Jordan against a perennially watered pasture, for in an instant I will make him run away from it. For whoever is chosen I will appoint over it, for who is like me and who will summon me into court? And who then is the shepherd who can stand against me? Therefore hear the plan of the Lord which he has planned against Edom and his purposes which he has purposed against the inhabitants of Taman. Surely they will drag them off, even the little ones of the flock. Surely he will make their pasture desolate because of them. And I want you to notice something that's amazing here. The description of Edom there in verse 19 is a perennially watered pasture. Beautiful. Green, flowing waters. And God says, out of the thickets there, out of that 
the thickets of the Jordan River against this, this perennially watered area, this beautiful land, out of that is going to come this destroyer. And he will make their pasture, the end of verse 20, desolate because of them. The earth has quaked at the noise of their downfall. There is an outcry. The noise of it has been heard at the Red Sea. Behold, he will mount up and swoop like an eagle and spread out his wings against Basra. And the hearts of the mighty men of Edom in that day will be like the heart of a woman in labor. So much for your manliness. And what we see in this, gang, there's a fuller prophecy, the entire book of Obadiah, which is one chapter. So when we get there, we'll do that in one night. Obadiah is a fuller prophecy against Esau, against Edom, but he makes the same point. How many of you here were on the last Israel tour? And which ones, if you remind me, went into Jordan? Les and Donna, you did? So just the three of us? Let me and, and John, let me describe for you Edom. Because we came into Jordan in the southern area, the very southernmost uh, border down there at the Gulf of Aqaba. We come into Jordan and we begin to make our way up the country. Edom is first, then Moab, then Ammon. Edom was depressing. Absolutely bare, empty, rocky, deserted, desolate. We drove for an hour and a half, two hours. I didn't see a single person. We hardly saw another vehicle. The King's Highway going up through Edom, there's nothing there. It is, a way, it is exactly as the Bible described it would be, a desolate wasteland, and it was at one time a perennially watered pasture. It was at once beautiful. We can see with our own eyes. Do you understand what the judge is doing here? He lays this all out before us. He says, now look, this is what happens when judgment falls. I told you then, you can see it with your own eyes right now. I want you to understand what judgment looks like. Look at Edom. It is completely destroyed. It is dead. It's eerie. It's dry. It's desolate. It's depressing. It's a wasteland. Edom today, southern Jordan. Go check it out. I didn't like that part of the trip. In fact, that was the part where I remember Mary Kennedy saying two or three times, can we just go back to Israel now? (laughs) Edom's present day emptiness is a reminder of the final judgment of all flesh. Edom is a picture of the flesh. Esau of the flesh. And what happens to the flesh. Unlike Moab and Ammon, we will not see Edom restored. Edom will never be restored. Why? It is a picture of a gravely serious judgment. All flesh will fail. Psalm 73, 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and God is my portion forever. All right, quickly, we're going to get through this. Damascus the anxious. Chapter 49, verse 23. Concerning Damascus. Damascus is what country today? Syria. And it is falling apart before our eyes. And it's a massive civil war upheaval. We're continuing to watch Syria, see what's happening. Israel is saying chemical weapons are being used. There's a great deal of alert. In fact, the the IDF is stationed along the border there in the Golan Heights, watching, keeping a sharp eye on Syria against what may happen here. It's very unsettled. Concerning Damascus, Hamat and Arpad are put to shame. 
For they have heard bad news and they are disheartened. There is anxiety by the sea. It cannot be calmed. Damascus has become helpless. She has turned away to flee. Panic has gripped her. Distress and pangs have taken hold of her like a woman in childbirth. And in this case, the birth pains describing something that's too late. Birth is coming. Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, it's coming. You're under attack. It's too late to do anything about it. Verse 25, how the city of praise has not been deserted, the town of my joy. Therefore, her young men will fall in her streets. All the men of war will be silenced in that day, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will set fire to the wall of Damascus, and it will devour the fortified towers of Ben-Hadad. Damascus, the anxious land. Nebuchadnezzar conquered uh, Damascus, flooding west in 605 B.C. And the only reason we conclude from here as to the judgment of Damascus was the brutality of Assyria. There's not much else we can draw out of it, but that brutality still hangs on to this day. We're watching it take place in Syria right now. Continuing on, verse 28, concerning Kedar and the kingdom of Hatzor, which Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, defeated. Kedar and Hatzor. Kedar and Hatzor, who are they? Think about this. Thus says the Lord, Arise, go up to Kedar and devastate the men of the east. And they will take away their tents and their flocks. They will carry off for themselves their tent curtains and all their goods and their camels. And they will call out to one another, Terror on every side! Run away! Flee! Dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Hatzor! Declares the Lord. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has formed a plan against you and devised a scheme against you. Arise, go up against a nation which is at ease, which lives securely, declares the Lord. It has no gates or bars. They dwell alone. Their camels will become plunder, and their many camels, uh, many cattle for booty. I will scatter all the wind to all the winds those who cut the corners of their hair. <laughs> so much for supercuts. And I will bring their disaster from every side, declares the Lord. Hot sore will become a haunt of jackals, a desolation forever. No one will live there, nor will a son of man reside in it. What are or who are these nations? These are the nomadic tribes, Kedar and Hatsor, nomadic tribes of Arabia. This is Saudi Arabia today. And in this nomadic region, these Arabs, these are literally, in fact, Kedar and Hatsor are offspring of Ishmael. You got the Arab, Arabic people come from two lines. They come from Edom, from Esau, and they come from Ishmael. And that's where the Arabs draw back their lineage. That's why the Arabs will say that Abraham's our father. Well, yeah, he's their father by the illegitimate son, Ishmael. And so these are the tribes that come out of Ishmael, and they think, because they're down nomadic, traveling around, wandering, Bedouins in the deserts of Arabia, that they're out of harm's way. When they hear by the by the grapevine that this Nebuchadnezzar is conquering nations, but hey, we're a moving nation. We're fine. We've got everything going on here. We're at ease. We have all of our wealth, our riches, our camels. And of course, they measured wealth by camels in those days. If a daughter was uh, being married off, you know, she was like a four-camel girl. <laughs> but these people of Kedar and Hatsur are at ease. 
and they figure no harm can come to them until Babylon swarmed in and judgment came swiftly upon them. And Paul analogizes Isaac and Ishmael, talking about in a picture form what these people might represent. He talks about them in the book of Galatians, Galatians 4.28. He says, You brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. Now that would be the Jewish people, but it would also be us grafted in. We are children of promise. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. What's that mean? Ishmael persecuted Isaac. Ishmael born according to the flesh. Isaac born according to the Spirit. Okay? So Isaac, a picture of spiritual things. Ishmael, again, picture of fleshly things. Paul says, what does the Scripture say? It says, cast out the bondwoman and her son, Hagar and Ishmael. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. What's he getting at? There's a false sense of security in our stuff. There's a false sense of freedom in our, I'll say, American lifestyle. We got our homes, we got our cars, we got our material things, we got our cell phones, we got our American sense of freedom, and truly we have no idea what it's like to live in terror. A bombing happens on the East Coast in Boston, and the country is paralyzed by it. Bombing happens in Israel, and the people go, been dealing with that for 60 years. We don't understand. And the reason is, and more again about this on Sunday, we are a nation at ease. Hasn't been so hard lately. Well, we've been in an economic downturn. Yeah, yeah. Did you eat tonight? How was that meal? You got clothes on your back? Were you able to get here so you put gas in the car? How'd you afford that? I mean, you know, we have no idea what it's like to really be under serious Distress. 9-11 woke us up just long enough to go back to sleep. We are so much like Ishmael here. And the people of Kedar and Hatsor, they had this. They had their tents filled with all kinds of goods and livestock, and they had cool haircuts, and they had freedom. They could do anything they wanted, go anywhere they wanted, and no one was going to touch them until they got wiped out. Until terror came on every side. And Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.1, As to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. You know yourselves full well. The day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, or as with Saudi Arabia, the the Arabian Peninsula, people at ease, living securely, no gates, no bars, verse 31. They dwell there. It's cool. Paul says, while they're saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly. Like labor pains upon a woman with child, they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. We are not called to trust in our freedom. We are not called to trust in our things, our material goods, and our our lives at ease. That's not our security. Our security is in the Lord and only in the Lord. We are sons of daughters, and daughters, Paul says, of the day, not of the night. We are free in Christ. 
not in ourselves or our country. And so we need to have our eyes wide open. I'll, I'll put it this way. These are not days for church for us to be at ease. These are days for us to be vigilant and watchful and prepared and going forward in faith. Not settling back. Last one. Number eight, Elam the arrow. Elam the arrow. Verse 34. That which came as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet concerning Elam at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah king of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to break the bow of Elam, the finest of their might. Okay, this is the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah. You might note this, it's 597 B.C. Alright, this is the prophecy given in 597 against this country, this nation called Elam. Elam was east of Babylon in the region that is today Iran. Now I know we often say Iran is Persia. Well, Elam was ultimately consumed by Persia, became part of Persia. But before Persia rose in greatness, Elam was right where Iran is. That's the location that we're talking about. And these Elamites were superior archers. Based on other scriptures and what's said right here, he says, I'm going to break the bow because they were great archers. They were very powerful uh, uh, men with bows and arrows. Great at firing things off. We're all watching Iran to see if they're going to try and fire something off here. I think it's kind of ironic that Israel has developed the world's most advanced anti-ballistic missile system. And it's called the Arrow 3. So Israel has the arrow and Iran apparently does not. But God tells the Elamites here, He says, I'm going to break your bow. This is what they did well. This is their strength. This is their great ability. They're archers. I'm going to break your bow. Has the Lord ever taken away something that you were good at? Has He ever in your life taken hold of something that you thought, this is my deal, this is what I do, and suddenly you are no longer able to do that anymore? He'll do this if only to restore our dependence upon Him. Because as we talked about before with prayer, it's the same with how we depend upon the Lord. The more self-dependent we become, the stronger we become in our abilities, the less we depend on the Lord. And sometimes in response, God will break the bow. He'll break the bow in your life when the bow becomes your strength. Psalm 59.16 says, As for me, I shall sing of your strength. I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning, for you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. And so just a side note here, if the Lord breaks your bow, if He takes away something you're good at, Nehemiah 8.10 says, Don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's our strength. Verse 36 I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four winds of heaven and will scatter them to all these winds and there will be no nation to which the outcasts of Elam will not go. I'm going to disperse them all over the world. I will, I will shatter Elam before their enemies and before those who seek their lives. I will bring calamity upon them. Even my fierce anger declares the Lord. I will send out the sword after them until I have consumed them. And then note this, I will set my throne in Elam and destroy out of it king and princes declares the Lord now Nebuchadnezzar again he conquered Elam he conquered them in 596 
The prophecy came in 597. One year later, it was done. So this is another one of those very quickly fulfilled prophecies. Except that he conquered Elam, but not quite to this extent. In fact, if you read this prophecy and you look at what Nebuchadnezzar did in 596, it doesn't add up. This is much worse. What God describes here is a much bigger breaking, a much bigger shattering of the bow. And as I said, Elam later merged with Persia, had a hand in conquering Babylon. The Elamites remained. But because the prophecy is so big and has never been fulfilled as spoken, we think that this is another eschatological prophecy, an end times prophecy of what's going to happen with Iran. He's going to break the bow. He's going to shatter Iran. Iran who's going after the nuclear bomb. God's going to take care of this. Ezekiel will give a prophecy we'll get to in two or three months where we'll learn about this and we'll see Persia stopped in her tracks from trying to attack Israel. But that's another teaching for another time. This also ends with a last days, end times verse, verse 39, but it will come about in the last days that I will restore the fortunes of Elam, declares the Lord. And i got to share this and we'll be done tonight. There is one reason that we know for sure, and you might want to turn in your Bibles over to the book of Acts. There's one reason we know for sure that Elam will be restored. We have some proof of this. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them, the, the apostles. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites? Elamites. There were people of Elam there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They saw the Holy Spirit fall on Peter the Apostles. Peter preaches that phenomenal first sermon of the church. There's a massive outpouring of the Spirit. 3,000 are saved. Among them that day were Elamites, people of Elam. Saved by the grace of God as is His purpose. He is the righteous judge of all the nations but he does not delight in his peculiar judgment. He delights, he takes pleasure in saving mankind. Father, thank you so much for your word tonight. We covered wow, a lot of ground, a lot of judgments. May we walk out of here praising the name of the righteous judge and recognizing, God, your great passion to save people, to draw us out of wickedness and not to take pleasure in condemnation and judgment but in salvation. And I pray, Lord Jesus, 
oh, I just keep praying this, that more and more our fellowship will be a tool of harvest. That we will be used by You, Lord Jesus, to bring people to salvation. To call people out of sin. Even as we ourselves are being sanctified and changed by the grace of Jesus Christ, may we be used by You to bring a lost world, Lord, literally to their knees in humility and prayer and praise to the righteous judge of all the earth, our Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we bless Your name tonight. And Jesus, we pray. Amen.